Hello, and welcome to the first ever Texas Competes Action podcast. I'm Jessica Shortall, and with me is Eric Glenn, who is here to talk to us about what the heck happened in 2017 with this bathroom bill. So Eric, welcome, and thank you for being my guinea pig first guest on the podcast. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me, Jessica. (laughs) So Eric, tell us a little bit about yourself. Everyone listening is going to know who you are, but uh, would you do a self-intro, please? Certainly. Um, I am a 33-year veteran um, around the Texas Capitol. Um, started out as lowly as you can begin in there. Um, was an assistant sergeant at arms. Um, went to work for a legislative member, um, and I served as his chief of staff. I was ultimately his committee clerk. I clerked um, numerous committees in the House. Um, I focus a lot on procedural uh, matters um, as the committee that I clerked in 1992 set about revamping the um, rules of operation for the House. So I, I like to pay a l- very close attention to um, whether or not we're doing things procedurally correct. Um, and then from there, um, I've represented, um, I went to um, a, a state agency, then I went to work for um, Texas Association of Business, and then I went to work for um, I became a corporate lobbyist, and then in 2003, um, I ventured out um, on my own and became what's known in the lobby world as a hired gun. And then you found yourself, probably astonishingly to you as well as everybody else, involved in fighting bathroom bills in Texas. Yeah, and so my first introduction to that was um, through um, a, a, a Washington, D.C. client, um, they had some interests, and so um, I was engaged initially um, by a firm out of um, D.C. Um, representing um, s- some large associations. And um, as I began working with various members of the coalition, um, at some point a number of them asked me if I would be willing to um, kind of uh, step in and be a little bit of a, I guess for lack of a better word, a, a a field general or work on some logistics for the keep Texas open for business. And, um, I went from merely monitoring this situation, um, around the bathroom bill, um, to be an, an active player in this. Yeah. I was going to say, I sort of think of you as, as a quarterback of sorts. Oh, that guy, I like that quarterback. Yeah. That's even, although, you know, if, uh, you know, just, uh, I played a lot of football and nobody was ever going to make me quarterback. <laughs> so I, I like that. I'll take it. All right. Well, you finally, you finally made varsity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, I mean, in a nutshell, what, what happened? Do you think that this bathroom bill dying this year beat political odds or do you think it was always destined to die? What do you think? What, what, what happened? Oh, no. Um, the effort around it, um, you know, and the thing about the legislative process, and it's what's drawn me to it, is it's so fascinating. Um, I liken all these things to vampires, and you can't kill them. Um, and, you know, I think at the end of the day, I don't know if it was a wooden stake, silver bullets, or whatever, but um, we did have to pull those out. This thing would not die. And to kind of jump ahead a little bit, I, it's not dead. Um, you know, I think it, it's, it's, it's like a bad horror movie where, you know, at the end of the movie, you know, you see like the hand move or something and every, the whole audience knows that it's not dead, but you know, nobody else around does. Um, it, it was a, um, it, it was a thing to behold from the ground. Um, what was fascinating was to see how, 
a lot of folks, and, and see, I think this was part of the uh, problem was that a lot of people thought this will never pass. And then it just continued, you know, and it, it was like that, you know, using the horror movie thing, it was the blob and it just kept growing and growing and growing and you couldn't stop it. And so I mean, that's what um, I heard a ton what, of even in 2016 was business as it was being talked about from, you know, some of the highest reaches of the state. I had business folks saying to me, they're just saying this. There's no way they're going to pursue this, not with all this evidence, not with all this data. Why? Why? Why would we do this? Um, and that you're right, that zombie kept waking up. Yeah. And so I, I think what it is, is it, there was an assumption um, primarily on the part of the business community that um, people would that, you know, that this wasn't serious. And I think the awakening happened um, as they realized it was serious and that it was going to require a lot of manpower, a lot of resources in order to defeat it. You know, the, the phrase I've heard over and over again is, is uh, from folks that support this thing is this gets me to 51% in a primary. Do you think it's anything beyond that? Or do you think that's the driving factor? Well, I think it was the driving factor. First of all, I'm going to say it's a manufactured issue. Um, I, I do think that there have been a number of – there were a number of drivers that led um, to this piece. And for, a, for what I would call the social conservative Republicans, they are just um, – you, you, they feel that every aspect of their life is under attack – and so ultimately what I think was something of a trigger for this, um, let's be honest, was the Oberfell uh, ruling from the Supreme Court um, legalizing same-sex marriage. And, um, you know, I think it's some of it's born out of a frustration that um, with that being settled law at this point in time, um, it, it's kind of, well, let's look around and see who we can go after. And so the easiest thing, I, I mean, statistics I've seen and read over time say that, you know, 0.3% of the population um, is transgender. And so this just seemed like a, a, a fairly easy target. And I can't tell you how many legislators I dealt with that um, basically just tried to allude to the fact that, um, you know, this is just a small group of people. And, you know, I, I said, so you're saying to me that, you know, it, come on, Eric, just allow a little bit of discrimination. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it turned out a lot of people weren't comfortable with even a little bit of discrimination, regardless of how small the population is. Right. Well, that's kind of the point is <laughs> often discrimination is perpetrated against a small group. That's kind of how it happens. Right. If you were, if you were big, you'd probably have a lot sure. more power. Um, well, and, yeah. but see, I mean, kind of, you know, um, as a black American, I can tell you that, you know, it's, um, it, for me, it was, it, it's kind of easy to, to see that. I mean, here, you know, here was a large group that, um, they felt completely comfortable, um, for a long time discriminating against. Yeah, and, you enough. know, again, that was issues in law, um, from Supreme Court, Dred Scott and a whole bunch of other things. So, um, you know, I, again, I, I think it just turned into one of these things. Well, we've got to have some sort of culture war and we've got to have a win on this one issue. And I, I have to say the other side was was actually very um, 
strategic in their messaging. And, you know, when you start talking about putting daughters over dollars and, um, you know, protecting women um, and children and girls, um, you know, that's an easy sell. Yeah. Well, and, you know, their message changed over time. I thought they were very agile with this is about transgender people at the beginning and then very quickly, no, this isn't about transgender people. It's about people who would masquerade. And then, you know, this, the economic stuff is fake. Okay. It's not fake, but daughters over dollars. I mean, it, it changed very quickly. And so it was, it was right, tough. But I they know, wouldn't to even, they wouldn't even acknowledge that if, if it was somebody dressing up, that that in and of itself would be illegal. Sure. Um, and they, they, you know, the, 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 you're right. I mean, they kept trying to shift it because I think we kept coming back with responses to the things that they were saying. And so ultimately, you know, they just created a boogeyman in the bathroom and that was the thing. But something you hit on earlier was really the important thing. And the issue here in Texas is that the primary voter participation is so low and a, a, a vast number of the people who participate in primaries, especially in the Republican Party, are social conservatives. And so to them, it played perfectly to the base. Um, But they also put a number of Republicans who don't want to play the base game. Um, It put them in jeopardy and forced them to have to do and say and make some very, very ugly votes. So, okay, fair. I'm trying to keep these things short so people can listen on the commute. This is such a you're doing an amazing job of segueing this. Best guest ever in the history of this podcast. So, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I'll keep listening, though. <laughs> what is your prognosis for the 2018 elections? And, and then what will what are legislatures going to look like going into 2019? Because that will determine whether you and I, I'm guessing, are going to spend a lot more time together or not. Sure. Um, d- do you specifically mean here in Texas? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Texas. Well, yeah. Well, see, one of the and and the only reason I ask that is because I I think a lot of people are and especially here in Texas are ignoring what just happened in Virginia specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, 14 Republican incumbents turned out of office. Um, And then, you know, I don't want to shift gears too much. But at the end of the day, a big thing happened here in Texas in the form of SB4, which was an immigration bill and you know, it's a little outside of our topic here, but, um, you know, when, when I worked um, inside the building for an elected official, you know, and I've done campaigns and stuff, the number one thing that we talk about is that you can't go giving people a reason to vote. And so the, this Republican legislature's um, immigration, um, their immigration bill and sanctuary cities that they were attacking and other things – um, may have the effect of waking up this, you know, everyone's talked about this, this big sleeping giant Hispanic vote that's out there. And they've never really had a, a reason to. Well, I think this is the, this is one of the worst bills in the country. And I think it's going to awaken that group. So I think what 2018 is going to see, we're already seeing um, sort of a, um, an internal skirmish amongst Republicans with Governor Greg Abbott already endorsing um, an, a, an opponent to uh, an incumbent legislator or in the form of Sarah Davis. And, you know, oddly enough, or not oddly enough, but um, coincidentally, um, Sarah was um, an opponent to the bathroom bill. 
Um, but there were other things. And she's considered one of the more liberal Republicans. And so now we're getting to this point where they want to do a party purge. And, you know, without understanding that Ellen beat, a, uh, I'm sorry, that Sarah beat a Democrat, Ellen Cohen, who had defeated another Republican, Martha Wong, and that the Sarah Davis district, um, uh, Trump lost that district by 15 points. Mm-hmm. What's significant about that is that it's River Oaks. It is, it, it's a Republican district, but it's a, it's a moderate district. So there's a lot of moderate Republicans out there who may be attacked. And I think if they do manage to knock them off, then it's going to pave the way for a Democrat to ultimately win those seats, because these these seats are are somewhat in play to begin with. Um, I think in Texas, um, I would not be surprised to see five to six Democrats this go around in 2018 unseat some um, Republican incumbent House members. Um, and that's in 2018. And then I think a number of other races will be much too close for comfort. And my hope is, is that between some of the potential seat losses, um, between the message that folks send and the exit polls show us that that will have the effect to deter, um, the efforts that may appear in 2019 session. Um, but I will say this, the five or six losses, uh, that I think the, the Republicans will have in, um, in 2018, I will tell you just based on historical analysis of Texas elections, um, unless something changes dramatically at the national level, and there's nothing that indicates to me that that's going to be the case. Um, I'm predicting that 2020 in Texas will be a wave election. And um, I, I don't think that uh, that we Republicans lose majorities, but I do think you'll see a tightening um, out there amongst the, um, the the partisan mix in, inside both the House and the Senate. Hmm, interesting. I've seen some interesting analysis that says, you know, this Sarah Davis thing with the governor is kind of a, you know, like you said, a purge of we'd rather we'd rather lose the seat than have a rogue mm-hmm. member. Um, you know, and so even if the, the, the GOP loses some seats in Texas, um, they'll tighten up ideologically. Um, and so we may not have people on the, on the Republican side of the aisle that want to play ball at all with their Democrat colleagues. Um, so we may be in for an even more divisive 2019. Uh, You're right. But see, you know, this is what, when I came to work in the Texas Capitol in 1984, there were about 36 Republicans in the Texas House, and there were only six Republicans in the Texas Senate. And I watched as the Democratic Party was purging um, its members, and they wanted they wanted this purity. Um, but you know, for the longest time, we had conservative Democrats in this state, um, and they wanted to be Democrats. In East Texas, you had very conservative East Texans. Um, that were Democrats, and they were known as yellow dogs. And for folks who don't know what that is, those those were the folks who would vote for a yellow dog before they'd vote for a Republican. It's fascinating if if people really had a, a historical perspective. I, I'm amazed at seeing um, how the whole South has just swept and become Republican when um, the 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 bitter taste of the Civil War and Reconstruction and the carpetbaggers. Um, really left Republicans blocked in the South forever and ever and ever. 
So it, it's a fascinating switch to see. Um, but I do believe that you're going to see different types of Democratic candidates showing up, um, veterans, um, folks who are um, pro-life, folks who are pro-gun. And then it'll be a lot different in terms of just aligning them to a party. And then folks are going to start looking once again at who is this individual that's presenting themselves. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's the one hope that we have. But I, I really do think at the end of the day, um, I, I don't believe that the Democrats from the time that I got there in 84 um, were ever thinking that party was going to end. And, you know, it, it lasted for over 100 years. And it, it appears to me, and even after having made a lot of significant efforts to bring about a Republican majority in the Texas House myself, um, you know, I, I'm having to rethink that given what I see today with regards to all of, um, to the, to the very, very, um, strict focus on social issues and things that, um, take away from the business community. My goal is to create a business community that's unrivaled to any others. You know, my daughter's a college graduate. I want her to know this is where she was born. This is where she lives. I want this to be a place that she wants to stay and the opportunity exists. A lot of the social issues right now, and I, I speak to my daughter regularly, she's 25, um, she is very, very concerned about th this turn that she's seen um, here and in other places, and you know, quite frankly, nationally. And um, I think that's the other issue that Republicans have better pay attention to. Um, there's a problem with younger voters, um, with minority voters, and if they want to feel this current pain that the Democrats feel right now is being in the wilderness, they are hastening their own demise. Well, I think that's a very good point to, that we have got to, we know that young people don't vote. Uh, and, and frankly, more moderate and independent minded people don't vote in primaries in Texas. The ter Texas is a horrible voter turnout state. And then you go to the primary and it's about half as much. Yeah. We're, we're um, 49th in the country for voting participation. And I think a lot of that is that apathy comes from people thinking that their vote doesn't matter. And that's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I mean, we just, we, well, see, I, I hope I, folks I listening will, will talk to their employees. Yeah. But see, I think that's a part of it. But I'll also tell you that for the longest time, uh, you know, there's not been what I would consider um, intentional damage inflicted to this state. Um, by either side. And nobody was, you know, you know if, if everybody wants to be honest, look, those conservative Democrats and others, you know, they were pretty good stewards and they built a great foundation in the state. This is not some liberal tax and spend kind of place, right? And so it, it's, and there are a number of these folks that, you know, if you really cornered them, depending on what their age is, you know, they used to vote Democrat. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's kind of fascinating to me that a lot of people, I think, just assumed it's sort of what we talked about at the beginning here um, with regards to the bathroom bill. Oh, that'll never happen. And I think a lot of people have finally realized because we do have people who are pushing divisive issues. They're like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to be a lot more aware of this. And we saw some polling during the bathroom bill where folks uh, came back and said, hey, that's just a distraction from the real issues. And I, I, I do think that you're, because of what's happening nationally and other things, I do think that there is a, a greater awareness 
and if the the if those campaign folks and others will direct it properly uh, and they do the outreach, I think they can find a way um, to get folks out to the polls. And I'm really hopeful and I want to see it, but I do believe we're going to see an increase in the number of people participating in primaries in the 2018, in the Texas 2018 March primaries. Well, I hope that's true. If you're listening, if you're still with us, um, urge you to talk with your employees, you know, don't tell them how to vote, who to vote for, but give them that time off to go vote, go vote together, give them snacks or treats or a beer or whatever. If they show you their I voted sticker, um, you can get in touch with us. You can t- get in touch with me, Jessica Short, all at texascompetes.org. Um, we could help find you a registrar to come and register employees to vote. That is all stuff you can do as long as you stay away from telling them who to vote for or how to vote. And we would be super happy to help. It's not illegal for them to inform the employees of who they support. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, So um, help us. We're asking you to help us keep grownups in the room and run in a state legislature, keep this Texas miracle going um, and get better voter turnout because, um, Otherwise, we, you know, we get what we deserve. So, um, Eric, thank you for joining us on this, the inaugural episode of the Texas Competes Action Podcast, which was much longer than I expected it to be, but I'm thrilled about it. So I hope folks who stuck with us um, could listen to your analysis of the history of Southern politics for days. Um, So thank you. Really appreciate you. Thank you very much, Jessica. You've always been a pleasure to work with as well. And I look forward to working with you again in the future. I was going to say, I hope that I never work with you again, but that's only just <laughs> that's a hope that we can move past this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's outstanding. Thank you so much. Thank you. Y'all come back and listen to us next time. Take care.